Frank and Frost. How old are you? Seven. Okay. What type of house do you want to own? I don't know. No, really big, really small. Well, like, you mean like me living in it? Yeah, if it was oh, just you um, by yourself. It would be the. I don't really care if it's just me. I, the thing that house, I want it to be a really, really big house, like a mansion or something. Ooh, a mansion? That's really cool. Mm -hmm. What about you, Lily Frost? How old are you? Four. Four? Do you like your parents' house? Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to live in a house by yourself, what kind of house would you live in? A mansion. A mansion. Mansion, would you invite all your friends over? Yes. Hang out? Okay. Thank you guys. Hello, and thanks for listening to the Generational Gap Podcast. My name is Matt Fern. And I'm James Mitchell. And thanks for listening to episode two. Glad you made it through the first episode, but here we go again, episode two. So here we are. Um, again, if you forgot what we're about, we're about talking about certain sorts of topics, depending on what they are. We're going to talk about um, how our generational approach affects our opinions on them, um, how our personalities affect them and how our socioeconomic upbringings might affect them. And on this podcast especially, we're going to talk about home ownership. Yeah, the idea of renting versus buying. In fact, you know, I was late to the recording of this podcast because I just bought my first home and had to go home and do some yard work before I got here. Hashtag no free time. <laughs> he did. He did have to do that. So, James, um, in just recently buying your first house... Um, what would you have to say about home ownership that might have changed even in the past six months for you? Absolutely. It, it has changed. It's changed so much over the last few years of, well, 15 years for, of jumping back and forth. Do I want to buy a house? Do I not? Do I want the responsibility? Do I not? Do I want to have the freedom or do I not want that? And recently it came down to the idea that I wanted to buy a dog and have that kind of furry companion and my apartment doesn't allow one. So I love my apartment, but I wanted to look for something that could be mine, that I could have a dog come in and out of and be at home there. Yeah, for sure. As you heard at the very beginning, um, we're going to be recording some of our friends, some of our colleagues, different people that we might have asked about home ownership and how they feel about it. Um, at the beginning, you heard our friends Lily and Lincoln um, seven and four, and they explained what they thought of a, as a house, which, of course, they wanted to live in a mansion to invite all their friends over to play. I think that has to be the dream, and I wonder, do they, do they recognize that their current house, does that feel like a mansion to them when you're four feet tall? Is that a mansion? <laughs> or do they know that there are bigger houses with, with lots more rooms and opportunity to have lots of friends come over and play? So yeah, on this episode, we're going to discuss all these different things, and we're going to come at it from a couple different angles, from a bunch of personal angles from different people, um, not just us. And so we hope that you really enjoy this one. Cheers. Cheers. So our first recording is from our friend David. Uh, he works here locally in Muncie, as well as his wife, and he recently just bought a home. Let's listen to his take on it. Uh, hi, David. How old are you? Hi, Matthew. Uh, I'm 27 years old. 
Okay, and how long have you owned your house? I have, my wife and I have owned our house for four months now. Four months, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. How do you like it so far? Uh, I love being a homeowner. It's uh, exciting. Uh, we bought a, an older house, one that uh, is in really good shape. Uh, has its few quirks and things that need to be fixed, but overall uh, we're excited about the projects and the uh, direction in which we want to take the house. Awesome. That's great. Um, one last question here. When you were younger, um, did you picture yourself owning a house like this, or what kind of house did you picture yourself owning? <laughs> uh, I guess I never really had a clear vision as to what house uh, I would own when I was older. Um, we bounced around a lot when I was younger, rented almost every house that we were in, so mm. I guess I really didn't have a, a good idea or kind of a clear definition of what that would look like or how that would even happen, so... Um, you know, just this house just kind of happened to fall in our lap and we were fortunate enough to, to get it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Four months seems like a long time probably in the life of a homeowner and how much more time they've spent in that home versus all the time that they spent renting. And so I wonder, do you think that they're still in the honeymoon phase of homeownership? I don't know. Um, I would say that if you were to ask one of them, one would say yes, and the other one would say no. And I won't dis disclose what I think which one would say, but um, I will say that recently they just painted almost their entire downstairs. Um, they painted a lot of their stairs, which was really difficult. Um, and they've even started making it their own, which is, I think, a part of why people want to buy homes more quickly than they want to rent sometimes. Um, and he kind of said that at the end, too, is like he didn't really have a set idea of what a house would look like when he was to go buy one because he necess he didn't necessarily live in a house for most of his life. He, you know, moved around from apartment to apartment. Um, and so he didn't really have this set idea about what even living in a house looks like. And so even coming back to that idea of, um, you know, are they still in the honeymoon phase? In some, in some cases, yeah. In other cases, they probably still have no idea what's going on, and that's probably a little scary. Sure. And I think in one of the next clips that we'll listen to, Suzanne talks a little bit about that idea of how scary it is to become a homeowner, especially when it's, it's an adult thing to do. Yeah. Not an inappropriate adult thing to do, mind you, <laughs> but the reality is that it's, it's an adult thing, like insurance or figuring out your 401k, the whole idea of buying a home just comes along with the territory. So let's see if we can hear a little bit of what Suzanne has to say about that. What about the rest of you? I felt the same way, I think because I had grown up in a house that it's just one of those things that I felt like, well, when you're an adult and you're doing those adult things, you get a house at some point. So it's an adult thing to own a house. Yeah, like it was scary when I did buy a house. I I didn't feel like an old enough adult to do that, but did it anyway, thanks to the tax credit. And uh, yeah, I am, I'm glad I did it. It's nice to have the freedom to do whatever you want to your yard and inside, and that's the kind of stuff that, even if it ended up, like if I had moved right away and it ended up costing me more money somehow, I would have still been glad, I think, that I did it, because there's more freedom to live life the way I wanted to. Yeah. I did it anyway. And I think, you know, for me, that's what it seems like. It's just, 
while we don't maybe feel ready for that big leap, we take it anyway. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and that comes down to a bunch of things when I think coming from adulting, you know, and that could be a, probably a whole other podcast we could go into coming straight out of college. Some of these people, including myself, don't really know how to go into it. If they were in the upper middle class, even lower middle class or working class, a lot of, a lot of times it's the same way. Their parents are really closed off about money, closed off about how to do things. Schools don't educate on how to do taxes, how to, you know, work through a mortgage, how to find a, a good accountant, even if you don't know how to do taxes. And I think that uh, coming into college, you know, all of these things are taken care of for you. Even, you know, going to find a rental house in college, if you're not living in the dorms, you know, these are all set up for you a lot of the times. They pay all of you utilities, and all you have to do is pay this, you know, $400, $300 rent a month, at least in Muncie, Indiana, where uh, rent is nothing some, compared to other places. Um, but it comes down to this idea that um, it's all taken care of. And, you know, they move away out of that, and then, you know, buying a house, buying a car, um, if they have a, you know, a spouse, they, you know, starting a family, you know, all these things are so um, much more stressful because they haven't been prepared by any uh, sort of figure in their life, I guess. But don't you think that some of that is just, it's just a gradual pyramid of responsibility. You start out with children who have no responsibility and maybe they get a pet like a fish or they get another larger animal that has to come out of a bowl and ultimately you move into that so i feel like some of the system if you are in the more what sounds like a middle class system where you get into higher education and all those other things that the system is building you towards that but eventually there's a cliff that you come to the cliff where there maybe isn't as much support there to help somebody make those transitions and that's where i think it's so important that we're we have that community around us to be able to learn and understand and grow and if it's not our family members do we know an accountant do we know someone who can do home repair or do we know whatever those things are that we don't know i think a lot of people generation generationally are probably learning especially nowadays from the internet whether it's home repair or what it might be but who are those people those people that are our peers that could be doing the work and helping us to learn how to do that that adult thing mm. as we move on. Yeah, and it's very true. Um, I think for, you know, from my standpoint, for sure that makes sense. I have a good community that I'm surrounded by, um, but I see other people I've graduated from college with who go into terrible ideas. Um, I have a couple friends that have, you know, gone underwater on their cars already. It's been three years, you know, gone... Um, gone through a foreclosure in a house. I know one person that's done that. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more common. Um, at least it seems like to me as time goes on. I feel like maybe part of this generation's idealism comes from entitlement. Um, and I don't know whether that is that upper middle class upbringing. I don't know whether that's the speed of the internet. <laughs> that everything comes at you so fast, that you expect all these things so quickly. Um, yeah, I don't know. And not that you ha we haven't seen entitlement in other generations. I think for sure out of baby boomers, um, 
from working at a call center for a long time, I know that baby boomers are very entitled um, to their electronics, to their different accounts of whatever. They're very entitled when it comes to certain things. Um, but I don't see the level of entitlement, the same level of entitlement that I see out of people from my generation. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And I think that some of that generational thing is really draws back to the baby boomers' parents in terms of the post-war generation that they raised after the hardship of the Depression really moved into something that was a little more comfortable. The first suburb was called Levittown, and it was this area in Pennsylvania that was a, a constructed community, and it was the first of its kind. And that, I think, created that suburban ideal, but what it was really tapping into was this American dream concept. And that, I think, is something that we could spend some time talking about. Really, the idea that this piece of property belongs to me. It's mine to to tweak, to put a dog in, to paint pink if I wanted to. <laughs> Heaven forbid that would happen. But, you know, the reality is that just seems like a very American ideal. And I don't know that other cultures around the world think the same way about their personal property. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good a good point. Um, and maybe from the developers of capitalism, we should know all about doing all of these things. You know, developers of capitalism. That's, you know, Americans are great at stealing ideas. I think, um, but these uh, look at other countries, developed countries in the world, in Europe, Western Europe, starting to switch, uh, move completely to socialism in a lot of places, and so. Even the idea that your own money is yours is completely ludicrous because you're paying 65 to 80% taxes on, you know, for um, all of your, um, all of your utilities can come from the government that way, come out of your taxes, all of your um, different things like lawn care, or you can have choices. I know in France, you can have a choice to drive your trash to the local dump on your own. Or you can choose to have someone come trim your lawn. You can choose one of those things, but that comes directly out of your taxes. It reminds me of the beard tax that we talked about last time. Exactly. exactly. Oh, beards. Beards. Such an interesting thing. Yeah, I'm not sure what I think about the American dream. It, I think the idea of home ownership is important, especially in our American culture. And I know organizations like Habitat for Humanity International really use that as a way to give people pride in something, but also to give them a safe, decent place to live, mm. which so often is not the case, not just here in the United States, but around the world, especially helping families have something that's theirs, that's a place that can be a permanent place as opposed to someone who's had to move around or or live in unsafe conditions uh. so i don't know if we can call it always the american dream but i think that probably what we picture because of our cultural upbringing is the house with the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids <laughs> and all of those things that seem very american but from my travel the ability to just see that people are people everywhere where they go they care about their kids. They care about having a safe place. I just don't always know that home ownership is affordable or accessible, not just around the world, but here in this country as well. And it would have been interesting to see while we were on travel in China, if we were to go up with our phone and say, we're, we're a part of a podcast. We want to ask you a question. Um, what do you think of home ownership? What kind of uh, responses we could get? Because um, I don't know even how that works there. I don't know who owns their home or who um, just kind of receives a home from the government because of communist China. I think that's a 
that would look completely different to them than it would to us. Right. And is it is home look the same way? I think that as we traveled there, it wasn't really possible to see houses the way we Again, the way that I would picture them if I close my eyes and imagine a child's drawing of a home, it was there were some high rises that we saw as we were in urban areas. There were even apartment style homes that were out in the hillside when we were traveling. So mm. I think that the idea of what a home looks like is different, obviously, but then I think maybe even the expectation. I know in Italy, we stayed in a hotel. There was a three-star hotel that had people living in an apartment right next to it. It was this three- or four-story building, and I just thought that was the strangest thing. That was my first experience outside the country, but that was home to those people. Now, I don't know if that woman owned that flat or if she rented it, but again, it's a very different concept of home. Yeah, that's very true. Because, yeah, you you bring up a child's drawing, and it's it's always very similar, right? It's got this... Um, it's always two-story, usually. Um, it's got a window on, on all four corners of the two-dimensional house and a, and a, and a um, door door in the center. That's what those <laughs> are called. It's a door, bat. Yeah, it's a door. And it usually has a cat or a dog outside with their family standing in front of it. It's very, it's very similar across the board, right? Yeah. But even look out the window where we're sitting right now, and I think so many of these houses look very similar. They're, yeah. they're not exactly the same, and we're maybe not built all at the same time. But that style, that that concept, and then how does that change even from again place to place within our environment? Um, maybe it's a bungalow as opposed to a, a two-story home, or maybe it's you know a colonial or a craftsman there's styles but it's still it's still home yeah yeah here's something interesting i was just curious as we were talking and so i looked up some average home prices um and they're comparing brooklyn and queens they're in the new york metropolitan area what would you guess the average sale price for a home in brooklyn was i don't know probably i don't know between Two two fifty thousand. Oh no, they says that the average home price for Brooklyn homes was seven hundred eighty-eight thousand five hundred twenty-nine dollars. The average price in Queens was four hundred fifty-two thousand dollars. Oh, and some change. And that was back in July two thousand fifteen. I mean, you're talking about there. Think about the down payment. Just the down payment alone to not have the the PMI that that mortgage insurance. On a home that's seven hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars, you're talking about fifteen thousand dollars. Or no, am I doing math poorly? Probably, I'm doing math poorly. For which house? For the seven hundred eighty-eight thousand dollar house, what's twenty percent of that? That's a hundred, hundred ten thousand. Is that right? Well, seven hundred eighty. Insert maths here. Future math. Insert maths. $156,000. So that somebody would need $156,000 to put down on a home. Who has that money, even in a place where, where uh, what people get paid? Even in a place where people's salaries are higher, you're talking about $156,000. It's quite a large chunk of change. Yeah. 
And I would completely agree with that. Um, and kind of going off of that, um, I was listening to another podcast and, oh man, I'm so sorry. Um, I was about to take credit for that. I was totally not listening to this podcast, but my wife was, Rachel, um, listening to The Theory of Everything by Benjamin Walker. And he had a series um, that was called New York After Rent. It was a three-part series, and it was talking about the effect of Airbnb hmm. on the city of New York. And the idea of the effect of this was that um, Airbnb, um, like many other things, was coming in and it was taking over certain parts sure. of the city, um, especially where there were kind of residential areas. Um, kind of where New York had been untouched so far. Um, and what it's doing is it's actually causing rent for New Yorkers to go up because there are less apartments to find, mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, supply and demand, normal supply and demand. The supply is up, or the demand is up, and so the supply goes down, and then the price goes up. Um, well, um, Benjamin, he actually linked... Uh, Benjamin Walker from the podcast, he actually linked a... Um, a guy that he actually interviewed on his first episode. Um, he has a website called InsideAirbnb.com, and there's a New York section. Um, and he writes this. Income levels for the average New Yorker haven't kept pace, and affordability is at record lows. Mm. Housing is scarce. Homelessness levels are increasing. Food insecurity is growing. Economic and racial inequality rates in New York City are near the highest in, in the United States. And he's not necessarily talking about Airbnb in for the entireness of this, no. for sure. But he is talking, interestingly, about the housing market. And the more that, um, the more rise of these, um, you know, different businesses that need space, and so they go into the residential area, are actually going to kick these New Yorkers out, either to the streets for homelessness, um, to more criminal behavior, something like that, or to these um, suburbs. And so even the grow of suburbia in cities that we don't necessarily associate with suburbia, like New York City, where a lot of people live inside the city, uh, with Greenwich Village or Brooklyn or um, the rises in the Bronx, the things like that, um, we're actually going to now be associated with, you know, different businesses maybe here in the near future. Sure. Well, and so that's an interesting look at gentrification, the idea that somebody with more money moves in and removes the person with less money because places like Brooklyn, my understanding is some of the, the rise of the creative class there has really influenced what may not have been a $788,000 home market several years ago, then mm -hmm. that's changed significantly. And so now what it sounds like is in some ways, somebody else with more money is coming and sweeping out other parts, gentrifying them, making them less accessible, less what they were maybe meant to be. And as you said, the diaspora, the, the spreading of those pockets of people, what does that do to community? And so I think the interesting question is, well, what does community look like in, in the American dream? Mm. And I think suburbs have changed that, the idea that you can pull into your garage, shut the door, go into your air-conditioned house, and not have to talk to your neighbors, I think has impacted some of that. Wow. Um, there's a... a Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone, and he talks <laughs> about that. And the, the title comes from, you laugh, but the title comes from the idea that there's a decline. When he wrote the book several years ago, there was a decline in the number of people who were joining bowling leagues. And part of it he attributes to the idea of suburbia and this, this concept that we are so 
isolated and insulated in our culture that that there isn't room for joining social clubs or service organizations or bowling leagues. And what was also very interesting about that is that people wrote back and he had a backlash against that whole idea that his first book, Bowling Alone, has a sister companion book to it called Better Together, where people explained to him a variety of different things around the country and maybe even around the world that were being influenced by people coming together and redoing or making things new. And it was such an encouraging and much more positive look at what was going on in the world than his what seemed like a very dour outlook of bowling alone, which mm. doesn't sound fun at all. No. Well, maybe for some people. I wouldn't mind bowling alone every once in a while. <laughs> That's a personality thing, maybe. Yeah. The local bowling lane, they call me Kingpin. It's my nickname. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I think that is interesting for what suburbs have done to our culture because it is a very cultural specific thing. I don't think a lot of other cultures sit and dream of the red door and the white picket fence, but our culture definitely does. Huh. And that might also be a generational thing. I mean specifically the red the red door maybe in the white picket fence. No one really wants a red door anyway. Um it's a lucky color. A, is that a lucky color? Every every home that my grandmother ever lived in when she owned them that had a bright red door, she said it was lucky. It's a lucky color. Interesting. We kind of touched on a, a few things in our talk so far. Um, socioeconomic status can definitely have a differing opinion on this. Um, and one of our friends, David, you know, uh, when he was talking, was talking about how maybe that living in an apartment was more cost-effective for his family um, and not necessarily that it's saying that they're poor but you know maybe they have more bills to pay um, a little more debt something like that but um, it was more cost-effective to live in these apartments rather than um, live in these houses and so the socioeconomic kind of created a different sort of standpoint for him not that he didn't want a home someday but he didn't have exactly something that he could look at and say that's what i want my home to be like necessarily well i was uh, some of the things that i was looking at as we were thinking about this they talked about the rise of the the calculator not your old casio calculator with the solar panel on it mm. push your glasses up everybody that's listening <laughs> but ideas on well, what's, what can I afford? How much home can I afford? With the mortgage crisis, I think it really changed the idea of what banks think you can afford. Mm -hmm. But it still seems that there are some people who may be offered a bigger loan than what their house needs are or what they can afford. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is someone getting into a 30-year mortgage today knowing that they'll never pay off a, a mansion? like Lincoln and Lily talked about, or can they really afford that type of property? And so I think it's interesting. I don't know if anyone listening has used one of those calculators, but it would be interesting to see, well, what loan or what amount or what, what, what result comes from that? So if you've got any thoughts from your trying out one of those home average price calculators, um, drop us a note. Let us know what you thought about that. Again, we're at Gen Gap Podcast, G-E-N-G-A-P Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us, gengappodcast at gmail.com. 
you know, some of the questions that things like this are asking, what's your target monthly rent? What's your target home price? How long would you live there? What an interesting question. How long would you live in a home? When, when you think about buying a house, Matt, how long do you think that you'd live there? Um, well, probably, and I would have never come up with this number on my own, but because of the people in my life and talking to my parents and my wife's parents, we come up with, you know, at least five years. Huh. Five years. That doesn't sound like very long. No, but um, to, um, to actually put some investment in, basically, because the idea that we've come to is, well, we're going to pay less as a mortgage anyway than we're already paying with our rent. Um, and with our rent, sure, we're paying someone else's mortgage. That's not really an investment for us. Um, so to kind of create that investment, you know, buy a house, live there for at least five years, then, you know, if you sell it, even, you know, just live there five years, be like, I don't want to live here anymore, whatever, sell it. Um, at least you've put some investment there and then you'll um, basically pull back that revenue when you sell it. Um, in order to go and buy a new house or save for something else, whatever it is. Right. Yeah, five years just sounds so much of a short amount of time. I think when I think about buying a home, it seemed like so much bigger of a commitment. Yeah. You know, the the idea of purchasing this property, it took me so long to get to that point to do that. <laughs> I don't see myself living in the home that I've just purchased forever, but I wonder for people does their idea of that change? Mm. So would you call what you're picturing a starter home? Yeah. Um, something that you don't necessarily like everything in it, or maybe you don't like anything in it, um, but it's livable. And then you get in there and you make it yours. Um, and as soon as you make it yours, um, this is kind of the sad part of a starter home that you only live in for five years. <laughs> as soon as you make it yours, it might be time to move out. You might not have already moved in all the way. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I, I don't, I didn't actually find it again because, um, I, I just couldn't find it, but I was reading an article about this couple in East Central Indiana who um, they flip houses, but they move into these houses in case they like it. Huh. Because um, they rent. Uh, I don't understand that necessarily. But so they move into these houses that they're, that they're flipping. Um, and at one point, they flipped this house and said, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and sell it. You know, it'd be better for us to sell it. But um, the wife had not told the husband that she kind of changed her mind and he had already sold it when oh. she told him. So it was one of these things, it's like, we haven't even moved into this house, and we're moving out. Um, but that was a, a long aside to say um, that um, it is, it's easy to say now for at least five years, but I would think that buying a house is a little bit of more of a permanent situation. More of a permanent situation in a way of like, um, we say five years doesn't seem very long, but 10 seems like a long time. Strange, it's just five doubled, but for whatever reason to me, I, I would agree, five years doesn't seem like a long time, but 10, it's a decade, it's a whole decade. Uh, it's a, almost time for a class reunion at, at, after 10 years. Uh, yes. Oh, come on now, they're not that bad. Uh, they've been worse, I guess. <laughs> Do we have another um, 
another person that we could listen to? Yeah, we do. I think there's somebody like Lisa who has the idea that growing up, she started out in an apartment, much like I did, and it wasn't until she was um, almost nine or ten years old that she was able to have her family move into a home where she got her own room and I think the ability for her to be able to do that you know is really maybe she's adjusted a little bit differently to the idea of owning a home so let's just see what she has to say um, I did not always think I'd own a house because I grew up living in an apartment. Really? Yeah. And it was fun. Like, you always had people to play with. Like, you didn't have to worry about anything broke. Eventually, when my parents did buy a house, I think that was their dream. Like, they always wanted to buy a house. And it was the American success story. Like, this means we have made it and succeeded. So I think there was always pressure that someday it would be buying a house. Uh, but it was hard. Like, I think for a long time, I was just happy running. Because I already touched up the like, don't need responsibility. Um, more so now, it's probably... If we could rent and pay as much as we do in mortgage and it'd be, like, a decent house in Muncie, we probably would. I think we would still be renting. But I'm not going to pay $1,000 for a crappy place. Yeah. Did you... How old were you when you moved in, from an Nine. apartment? Nine. Nine. So, yeah. And then we moved into the house that my parents bought. <laughs> Does that mean your port service? Like, it was a teeny house, so, it wasn't, but I had my own room. So, I mean, there was pros and cons to both, but I never thought, like, I was happy in the apartment. I was happy in the house. Yeah. It was never a definite, I don't think. And so when you were in college and you lived in apartments, it was, like, no big thing, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I still had my own room. What about for the rest of you that lived in houses growing up and then got an apartment while you were in college? Or yes. was it always... Okay. Yeah, and I didn't mind that. Yeah. That was a nice transition. Yeah. I think. It was an expected transition. You know, I didn't expect to own a house immediately. Yeah. So parents' house, dorm life, apartment or rental house, uh -huh. and then homeownership uh -huh. seems like a normal transition. Yes. I think so. I only ever lived in the dorms, so that it wasn't okay. until I had a job that I was uh, renting my first apartment one night. So that was kind of a bit of a transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there she's talking about that it, there was some pressure, it sounds like, that she felt to own her own home, um, even though she doesn't necessarily want it. But it sounds like maybe some of that fear comes into some of that. Um, but also just the idea that if I found a, a, the right deal, you know, thinking about it very logically, that for her, she thinks that renting, she wouldn't find the same quality of what she's got for buying for the price. And I think that makes sense, too. Yeah, so that's a very pragmatic approach. But even from the other side of that, from um, if you take away the practicality and just put in her like emotional quality of her statements is, oh, I liked renting. You know, she, she remembered back fondly to when she was renting with her family. Um, and it was almost a point that she, she said there in, in her statement that she would probably be renting now still if it was cost effective for them. Um, which is kind of an interesting idea. It is. I think, especially, again, going back to the idea of home prices, sometimes that is the more cost-effective thing. You were talking about building equity in a home, and and somebody else that, that was part of one of the interviews that I, that I spoke with, he talked about not wanting to pay somebody else. And I've heard people say that for years. But whether it's sometimes I think it's the idea that it, that's just 
not accessible, people don't have the down payment or, or don't have the resources to be able to make that transition. But then for some people, they just don't want that. And I think that that that's part of the that American dream having some diversity to it that home ownership or rental whatever it is and it's going to have a lot of different reasons why flexibility affordability ability period <laughs> just you know yeah. the ability to to keep up a home i think as you think about older people or people with disabilities people with young children single parents there could be a lot more difficulty that would go with owning a home, especially an older home like the one you're in right now. I mean, you're talking about something that's over 100 years old. That's a lot of up, upkeep and maintenance. Yeah. Imagine somebody who was in their 60s or 70s trying to keep that up on their own. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that's probably why you see a lot of the... Um, you know, the older people move to communities or they move to apartments where it's built for older people in there um, just because you you know they have degradation of health or whatever it is um, that they're struggling with it makes it easier for them to um, for them to function in, a, in an environment like that well but it's quality of life I mean the idea that there are activities and events and involvement and people where maybe you know this house, when when my friends lived here, your your landlords, if we wanted to call them that, huh. but they had a neighbor, and she lived in the house next door. Older lady, you know, there wasn't a peer group around for her. This neighborhood is a lot of college students, maybe a few young families, and then this older woman. And so think about a, a lifestyle community where you're around people your own age. So in some ways, it's like when you go away to college, you're around people your own age. I uh. think active seniors in their 60s 70s who have the means to be able to do that 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 seems to be part of that long-term american dream of you know retirement maybe it's after you'll buy a house what's the next step it's having kids or you know having grandkids and or maybe retiring and then being able to downsize or buy a second home whether that's a vacation home or a, a you know, a condo or whatever it might be. But I think that the the dream, the American dream seems to go on. And now we're seeing it go on longer because of the ability for people to have health and, and the resources to be able to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually thought about it that way necessarily, just that the American dream continues after that white picket fence, after that red door, after that two and a half kids that you were talking about before, um, that, you know, kids leave the house then you have empty nest and uh, maybe 20 years after that retirement maybe some people aren't retiring anymore but um, after you know retirement what do you go from there do you go and live in a community um, or as you know some grandparents not my grandparents but some grandparents of friends that I know they went in with a bunch of their friends and just bought a house and just lived in it together which is kind of an interesting huh. idea of this communal aspect that I don't think about for old people. Of course, they're people too. They need this community surrounding. But um, if you were to hear that about a bunch of young people, you know, you know, three or four couples moved in together, you know, create this house. Besides the fact that it sounds like a terrible sitcom on ABC, um, <laughs> it also sounds like that, you know, that's not that wouldn't be a surprising thing. You know, that wouldn't be surprising to hear that that would have happened. Right. It's almost 
you know, back in the 80s when the Golden Girls, yeah. the, they, the mm. premise of that show was that those women lived together because they couldn't afford to live on their own. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is a frightening, a frightening conversation, I think, for a lot of people. The, yeah. the money they have will not last them for the entirety of the length of time that they'll live because our health is so much better. But maybe you and I look at this idea differently and I can toss out that other idea because I am older than you are. Yeah. So Matt, did you did you grow up in a house when you were when you were younger? Did you live in a house, apartment? What was it? What what's your your housing situation been over the the length of your time of, on Earth? Very interesting, um, actually. I I, um, I was born and raised for a short time actually in Southern California. Uh, my parents owned a house there. It was a really small house. Um, it was actually. Um, the exact same amount of money as their giant house here in Indiana, mm. but that's Southern California for you. Um, and so till I was seven, I lived there and then we moved to Indiana. Um, for a short time, I think it was less than a year, um, we lived in an apartment on the east side of Indianapolis. Mm. Yeah, it, it worked well as, uh, as, some, as where we lived while my dad was, you know, getting used to his new job and when uh, while they were looking for houses but then they bought the house that they're in now and they've stayed there ever since and that was when I was I think I was eight when they moved in um, so from eight until 26 they've lived in the same house almost 20 years so it sounds like maybe this wasn't well that wasn't their starter home they already had their starter home out in California yeah their starter home was the one that I grew up in for the first six seven years of my life um, then I moved out here to an apartment and then lived there yeah I b I've always believed that I was going to own at least one home hmm. because I saw my parents not own not just one home but two homes um, and I can think back to that and think I could just own one home I could own two homes or three homes in my life I could own no homes and that's kind of a weird thing to think about um, that I uh, it's 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 a weird thought to think that I would not own a home at some point in my life, hmm. um, even though, um, you know, if I you know if we hit certain economical situations, then for sure it would make more sense for us not to own a home. Um, but it's an interesting idea from that perspective, yeah. I think. How about you, James? What about your um, your thoughts on owning a home when you were from when you were growing up? Right. When I was born, we lived in a three-flat apartment on the northwest side of Chicago. My grandparents owned the building mm. and lived on the second floor. My aunt and uncle and their three children lived on the first floor. My parents and I lived on the third floor. And then there were two other apartments behind on the second and third floor that my grandparents rented to others. And so... Um, Probably until I was four or five years old, my my family lived in the same apartment building. Wow. I, I don't remember a lot of that, but then when I was four or five, my aunt and uncle, my grandmother and grandfather bought a two-flat apartment building on a, on a little bit further west of the part of the city. And so I'd go over there and visit during the summer times, but they owned it, but it was still two apartments. And my aunt still lives there in one of those apartments. She's renovated it, um, 
but she still lives mm-hmm. in that apartment and again in the in the city of Chicago um, but my parents never we never had the resources I don't think I've never asked my mom and as I was thinking about getting ready for this I I've always assumed that there just wasn't the uh, the accessibility of resources to be able to have a down payment or to make that a reality but after my dad passed away my mom definitely was interested in moving out of the city for some safety reasons and I mean closer to family so she started looking for a home and so in her 60s she bought her first home it's a town home and she loves it I'm able to go and visit a couple times a year and there are a couple things that she needs me to do but she does a lot of the the stuff that she needs to take care of whether that's decorating or cleaning or um, you know it's multi-level property and so she's moving up and down the stairs you would think that somebody when they're entering their 60s wouldn't want something that size but she intentionally bought that way so that she would have mobility and and have something that's hers and i can see a lot of pride in that and so for me when i you know i've lived in apartments my whole life i rented apartments when i was in housing and in in school i lived in the dorms but then i worked there and had free apartments, furnished apartments that I was able to live in. Um, I have lived in houses, but they were rental houses. And so, you know, hopefully in the next six weeks or so, I'll be moving into my first home. And it's been, it's been exciting. It's been fun to think about the responsibility. Um, It's been a lot of problem solving already of Mm -hmm. just trying to think about, well, how do I make this decision or how do I make my water heater turn on? Or how do I make this repair? And so there has been a lot of learning, both from community, my friends, and from the internet. Just thanks, Google. <laughs> Please feel free to send us any money for that endorsement at. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, GoFundMe slash James House. Right. That's it. That's probably not mine, and don't go do that because it might be funding something inappropriate. But anyway, the the <laughs> idea is that this first home just didn't seem accessible, but seeing role models and other people in my life that have done that, now even the home ownership piece of the repairs has seemed a little bit more accessible, but maybe that's because I have people who are willing to come over and help out to help me get settled in Mm -hmm. doing painting and and yard work and some of those big things to make it more as opposed to somebody else's house to make it my home and and I'm looking forward to that I'm looking forward to seeing the the fruit of my decisions whether that's American um, mentality or not but I'm looking forward to seeing everything come together in that one place and and having some stewardship over something so it is it's an adventure scary uh scary adventure but i think that it's a great next step for all the reasons that we're we've talked about so in this podcast i believe we talked about a lot of different perspectives be it you know different generations be it different um ideas and upbringings and socioeconomic statuses or um present socioeconomic statuses um or even just you know being particular about a certain idea um being Um, preferential in the idea of whether you want to rent or whether you want to buy a home uh, definitely um, ends up being um, very different from where you've come from um, from some perspectives but in other perspectives we only asked Americans and I believe we came to for in my at least in my mind we came to a conclusion of everyone at some point wants to own something that they can call a home and it seems like 
it seems like across the board we mostly came to that perspective from from people yeah that i would say that's true all right well i believe it's our night to sign off it's been good being with you matt been good to be with you james have a great week you too own a home <laughs> yes I always thought I was going to own a home. Why do you think that was? Because my parents owned a home. And so I just assumed that was the model set before me. So I assumed like, yeah, when I get older, I'll have enough money and I'll buy my own house. That's just how it was going to be. Do you like owning your own house? I do like owning my own house. I enjoy it. Okay. I do. I feel like it's a better, I feel like I'm investing my money instead of just giving it.